I'm Melanie Sayward and you are tuning in to The Pink Elephant. Hey there and welcome to the Pink Elephant Podcast. This fortnight's episode is going to be a bit of a departure from the ordinary content I do, which is I confront pink elephants that stand in the way of us experiencing depth in our relationship with God. This episode is part three of the Holy Spirit series. In the first episode of this series, I mentioned that I believe God speaks to every believer and I'm basing that on John 10, where Jesus says that his sheep recognize his voice. And so I felt like like it would be negligent of me to say, you know, God does speak and then not tell you how he speaks so that you can begin to hear him for yourself. Now, to be clear, I'm talking about the specific, unique guidance that God gives to individuals, not just the general guidance that he gives through his word that applies to all believers and how we are to live. I do believe that God intends to guide us individually, just as the book of Acts demonstrates through various stories involving Paul, Peter, Philip, and others that I have mentioned in episode 16. And whilst I recognize that God does individually guide us via the Holy Spirit, it is absolutely critical to note that this guidance will never, ever contradict what is expressed in Scripture. For instance, I once had a dream that Jesus was in my childhood home and was mocking me and and like just being really dismissive of me. And I'd been going through like quite a significant challenge at the time. And I woke up thinking to myself, does Jesus actually think I'm an idiot for going through this? Now, I was able to answer no, like really quickly, because at the end of the day, what I saw in the dream was not consistent with what I know and what scripture tells me about Jesus and how he responds to us, especially when we are reaching out for help. So with some prayer, I was able to understand what this dream was really about, but the point is the Holy Spirit will never contradict scripture. And if you think about it, it's not just that he won't, it's that he can't. Because one of the biggest roles of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the truth, to reveal Jesus, to reveal scripture. So when there have been those Christian cult leaders who have told people to perform sinful acts because the Holy Spirit told them to, that actually cannot be the Holy Spirit. Now, there are two more notes that I want to make before we get into the nitty gritty. The first is all guidance requires prayer. In fact, you're going to notice like consistently throughout this episode that with every type and every form of hearing from the Holy Spirit that I talk about, that I consistently talk about prayer. And I consistently give examples in which I have had an experience and then I will pray. And sometimes for extended periods of time before I actually do anything about what God has shown me, right? So prayer is critical. I don't believe any specific guidance that we receive should be acted on without prayer especially if that specific guidance might also be for someone else. Around last year, I had a cluster of dreams about a friend of mine. To this day, I have still not shared them because through prayer, I have realized that it was possible that I was processing aspects of our friendship rather than these dreams being any kind of specific guidance for them. I don't let the excitement of having an interesting dream let me get carried away by telling someone something they didn't need to hear, right? The second note is that if you do have some specific guidance via the Holy Spirit, don't forget that the most important thing is to obey. 
You know, for my husband and I, we had so many confirmations about moving to Sydney this year that it would have been disobedience for us to have ignored these promptings. The fact is, in Christian circles, we often say that if you are faithful in the little, you will be given more. I heard this a lot when I was in rooms of leadership, and I know some have assumed that this also relates to responsibility over people or finances or wealth, right? But I don't believe that this is what Jesus was talking about in Luke 12 or Luke 16. I believe Jesus was speaking of the kingdom and revelation. When God reveals to you something, some mystery, some prophetic knowledge or foresight, it is the greatest thing that he has entrusted you with, which means he cares what you do with it. In my own experience, I have found that when I've been faithful with the revelation he has shown me, he has begun to show me more. I used to have dreams sporadically. But towards the end of 2017, I actually began a spreadsheet where I documented all of my dreams. I am a nerd, but I mainly did this to easily search for them, right? Because I would kept, you know, being like prompted with like memories or, you know, some kind of little detail of a dream. And I'd go, where was that dream? Like I've written it in some random journal that I can't find. And yep. So I wanted to make it easier to go and be able, you know, to be able to find them and explore them and kind of go, what's going on here if I ever got prompted about them later. Anyway, so here is what has happened since that time, right? In 2018, the number of dreams I had doubled that of 2017. In 2019, the number of dreams tripled that of 2018. In 2020, my dreams doubled that of 2019. And in 2021, this year, I am only a few dreams away from superseding the number of dreams I've had the entire year of 2020. And there are still three months of the year to go. And if the pattern that has been established in this year so far were to continue, it would mean that the total number of dreams I've had this year is 20 times that of the first year I started cataloging them in 2017. Now, the number of dreams is not really my biggest concern. It's actually the interpretation. That's the bit that actually, you know, confounds me the most, right? But what I can't deny is the increase that has happened since being intentional in stewarding those dreams. Nor can I deny that he has naturally gravitated me towards other dreamers who I spend hours on the phone with interpreting their dreams and encouraging them to be faithful with understanding them. But, you know, most of all, encouraging them to be obedient when they understand what he is saying. So if you really want to hear the Holy Spirit, my point is that his willingness to reveal more will directly relate to your willingness to obey him when he tells you or shows you something. Even if the direction is to pray about that specific person or matter, as is so often the case. All right, we have a lot to get through in this episode, so I'm just going to like jump right in, right? I do have this hierarchy when it comes to hearing God, hearing the Holy Spirit, which I probably didn't even really acknowledge until I began writing this episode. And it's really based on risk factors. What I mean by that is that there are various ways in which God speaks that simply by nature are more prone to misinterpretation. In this subliminal hierarchy that I've observed, there are probably three levels of risk, as in level one has a lower degree of risk as far as misinterpreting what God has meant to say to you, whilst level three has the highest degree of risk and therefore misinterpretation. 
For instance, I would class dreams, the most common way God specifically speaks to me, as a level three, because there is a high degree of misinterpretation. For starters, it relies on my ability to recall the details, which, you know, through experience, I've developed strategies to minimize, but I can never totally eliminate that risk. Dream language also relies on my highly subjective interpretation, which can be influenced by personal agendas and my personal values and everything else that makes me a highly subjective human being. Unfortunately, I have learned this the hard way. Now, here's the thing. Every form of communication from God, including scripture, has a high degree of personal influence in the interpretation journey. There is no doubt that this generation is interpreting passages of scripture differently from the last 50 years. And in some cases, it may also be an improvement on what we've understood. But I'm simply saying that there is a higher degree of risk for some forms of communication over others. If any of this begins to get too confusing, I'd encourage you to head to my website and check out the handout that I have produced as a companion to this episode. It's just a visual version of this hierarchy that I'm talking about, right? So let's start with level one, which is the least or lowest risk of misinterpretation of the different forms of communication. Now, remember, I said least, right? So, you know, no form is totally risk-free, but this is the least. Number one sermons, preaching, and teaching. You know, God often speaks to us specifically through a sermon or teaching. Now, And I'm not only talking about the content or subject that the preacher intended to relay to you. I'm talking about those moments when you know that God was speaking to a specific situation in your life. I've had this happen so many times and for as long as I can remember in my Christian walk. Like when I went to this conference ready to give up on church ministry, but couldn't really hear what God was thinking or saying at the time about the situation. I heard one message and I knew that God was saying, not yet. He wanted me to stick at it for longer. Or another conference that I went to that, you know, through the message, I understood that God was opening a whole new season of inner healing for me, which was true. Like the following year was like a complete, you know, year of alignment and healing and awesome stuff. Look, the fact is that even sermons and preaching can still be greatly misinterpreted. Just ask any preacher. And it's not only the listeners misinterpreting. The misinterpretation can often begin with the preachers. But scripture tells us to discern all messages against the word of God. Regardless of the risk, this is still one of the lowest risks of communication in general probably because of the level of accountability naturally attached to it. If you hear a sermon, you haven't listened to that message in isolation. There are others out there listening too. There are theological values of the denomination that these messages can't contradict. There is some level of accountability external to yourself and your own voice in your head. It's not perfect, but it's still there, right? There is accountability. So that was number one. Number two, questions and reflection. Taking the time to prayerfully reflect is one of the greatest things any Christian can do. I'm actually a massive fan of this. So often God is trying to tell us things. He's trying to redirect us or or bring something up that may develop more peace or patience in us. But we struggle to stop and give God that space. The art of good questions is a rabbinical tradition. It was how Jesus was often approached and it was also how Jesus approached others. A good question has the ability to access parts of ourselves that we didn't know existed. 
intentions, agendas and beliefs that we've defaulted to without question can be brought up because of a good question, right? Similarly, a good question can help us access those things that the Holy Spirit has been stirring in us that we we haven't given voice to. You know, one of the most common questions I ask fellow believers is, what is God saying to you? What has God been saying to you? People have often gone through their pros and cons lists and worked out all the details either side of a discussion. But then I'll stop and say, what is God saying to you? And it stops them in their tracks, forcing them to dig a bit deeper to ascertain his guidance. Questions help us to reflect and reflection takes us deeper. Now, I am a naturally reflective person. I think a lot about a lot of things, deep things. I've always been like this, even as a child. I'm so naturally reflective that I don't feel like myself if I haven't had substantial time to reflect. Now, I realize that this is not the case for everybody. Some people are very practical and the idea of sitting down reflecting is just like so annoying, right? But even for practical people, I have seen them experience so much benefit from taking time to reflect. Now, being really transparent here, I actually feel nervous around leaders who are so busy from morning till night with leading a church because that tells me they don't necessarily prioritize reflection and that deeper consideration of their own thoughts, their agendas and their intentions. I was ecstatic to hear that Pastor Craig Groeschel had taken a sabbatical recently where he was forced to reflect because he re-emerged from that time with a whole new way of looking at life and how he was living. Now, that is a wise man in whom I would put my trust. This concept of reflection and questioning is why I am such a fan of coaching. Christian coaching is one of the greatest tools available to us to be able to hear from God. I'm being very specific to say coaching right now rather than mentoring because mentoring can be very advice-driven, which has its place, but coaching, when done correctly, is mainly insightful questions that allow you to be guided, often by the Holy Spirit, to a conclusion. This means it forces you to reflect rather than rely on other people to discover what is underneath the surface. And it's really amazing how when you invite the Holy Spirit into that process, he interjects and leads to a greater understanding of what he is meaning to do in that person. Again, this is a fairly reliable form of communication because it is a participation with the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily a form of interpretation that is risky. It is intended to draw out of you rather than have you project your agendas and intentions onto something else. Okay, number three, open doors. I couldn't really think of a better way of saying this, so... But to me, an open door is when you commit yourself to begin walking out what you think might be God's will. And if the opportunity doesn't occur, it was obviously not his plan for your life. But if the door does open, then it means it is the direction he means for you to take. So for instance, when Josh and I were praying about moving to Sydney, at some point, I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, you're just going to have to step out in faith. That was probably after about two to three months of prayer. So I organized a meeting with a real estate agent and I began the paperwork for my daughter's school enrollment. So we acted as though moving to Sydney was God's will by doing the preliminary things that we would have had to do anyway and ask God at every step to open and close doors according to where he was leading us. 
Now, the risk of misinterpretation on this form of Holy Spirit guidance or or hearing Holy Spirit, right, is very low because you're essentially leaving the whole process up to God. On the other hand, the risk of disappointment can be high if you've already given your heart to that outcome. So ensuring that you're really open to the plan and actually open to the plan of God, going another way is really beneficial. Okay, now we can move on to level two. The first one in level two is prompting. It's sort of hard to explain this one. So when you experience a prompting, it's as though the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart or mind. It's not something you hear outside of yourself. It's like it's like you said it, but you didn't necessarily actively and intentionally say it. An example, one day I was sitting in church and I was helping my daughter with something like during the announcements, right? And when I heard this internal voice, like not instigated by me, say, pay attention, you need to hear this. When I looked up, they were advertising the internship program for the church. So prior to this, I had been praying and asking God what to do with my life because I felt like the time was up in my sort of previous job and role. So when this program was being advertised and this prompting happened and I heard this, you know, pay attention thing, I thought, is this where you're leading me, God? And basically I started praying about it. And after a little while, I began actively walking toward the goal to see if God would open doors. And of course he did. And the rest is history really. But it all started with a prompt. A prompting can start as a thought or a statement that you say out loud and suddenly it makes sense. I feel like I'm mentioning moving to Sydney a lot, but it has been one of the biggest changes we've taken as a family to date, right? So the way the prospect of moving to Sydney even came about was after getting off the phone to a friend to tell her excitedly about how a radio interview I'd just done had gone. And I remarked to myself as I hung up, boy, I miss Sydney. I had literally never felt that way the entire time we had lived in Brisbane. So when it came out of my mouth, I was like, actually, I do miss Sydney. Is this a sign that we might need to return now? And of course, we started praying. So prompting can be an overly emotional experience. It can be. It can just be a feeling or a thought. So my encouragement, again, is to pray and pray and pray. Number two, scripture and devotional time. Now, you would probably think this would be a level one, but there is a good reason that I've placed this in level two. Scripture is open to interpretation. We've seen that through history. So when you sit alone by yourself reading scripture without the input of any other voice, there is some risk of misinterpretation. We forget that scripture wasn't originally communicated this way. The Old Testament would have been orally passed down well before it was written down. And of course, the letters were read out aloud amongst the people of God well before the concept of personal devotion became a thing. There are so many passages in scripture where context is critical, if not all scripture, right? And the context can't so easily be understood by simply reading the passage. And and you are unlikely to learn about that context unless someone tells you, whether literally or through the various sources that are available to the average Christian today. This is something I do a lot, and I've been told that it's not really common. But when I read scripture, I am often in commentaries and looking at the Blue Letter Bible and other sources as part of my devotional time. It does mean my devotional time ends up being 
a lot longer. But, yeah, it's part of my deepening, my revelation of God. I don't just want to see what the word says on the surface and assume that I've understood what God might have been trying to say to people and what he would be trying to say to me through his scriptures, right? Now, something I hope I've made clear through this podcast is that I have no interest in being some intellectual Christian that knows lots of scripture and theological ideas so that I can hold a conversation with the elites of this Christian world. My only interest is how to live this faith out. But in order to live this faith out accurately and behold Jesus as he is, you have to understand what God is saying through scripture and scripture is multi-layered. Now, on the other hand, it is so common to read something that is completely out of the context known for that passage and yet know that God is actually speaking specifically to a situation that you find yourself in. Such is the nature of scriptures when combined with the Holy Spirit. As long as you don't get dogmatic thinking that scripture only speaks in that one way, right? So for instance, when I was working in a church and I could sense that God had something else in store for me, I remember just randomly stumbling upon Isaiah 43, 19 in my devotional time, which says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, that passage obviously wasn't about quitting my job to become a writer, but it certainly spoke into my situation at the time. So in some ways, we do this with scripture all the time. We allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us something specific for our own lives from what we read. When I was a young Christian, say 18 years of age, I knew nothing of visions or prophetic words or words of knowledge. And I still don't know the technical difference today, if I'm being honest. The way that I sought God for his personal guidance to me was through scripture. Not just as I discussed here, but I would often go back through my journal and ask myself, what has God been saying to me? What is the reoccurring theme over the last week or month? Because sometimes in one devotional time, you don't realize what he's been saying to you for a season. You have to take a step back to see his overall guidance. This is yet another way that the Holy Spirit speaks through scripture and our devotional time. Even recently, God has been continuing to bring up the passage about Abraham and Isaac and the situation where God tells him to sacrifice Isaac. I'm not quite sure yet exactly what he's saying through it, but it keeps randomly popping up. So I know that God is about to tell me something and it's going to relate to this passage, right? So that's that's the way I have seen that scripture and devotional time can be a pathway, I guess, through which the Holy Spirit speaks. Okay, number three of level two, wisdom. Now, I find wisdom to be a very interesting topic. See, for a lot of Christians, wisdom is what they see as the key to all decision-making. But I have put wisdom in level two for a reason. Sometimes the wisdom of the wise is not actually wisdom at all. And human wisdom has its limitations. This was the point of a story like King Solomon. Even the wisest person to have ever walked the globe, King Solomon, was a severely sinful man. He broke the laws of God to be wealthy, including reinstigating slave labor, the very thing that God rescued the Israelites from when he delivered them out of Egypt. 
and of course, he strayed from God because of his wayward wives. And to be honest, that's probably like just one layer. There was a lot of other things that he did that I don't really have the time to get into right now. Additionally, the wisdom of God can be used intentionally to confound the wise. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians 1.19 when he says, As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. And then again in verse 27, Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. How could we comprehend the wisdom of a God who offers his own son as a sacrifice? Yeah, we just take this reality for granted when we talk about God, that the wisdom of God to remedy this issue of sin was through the sacrifice of his firstborn son, his one and only son. I mean, have you ever considered how preposterous this is? Surely in all his wisdom, he could have come up with another plan, right? See, we realize the weight of this when we read of other circumstances that allude to such an idea in other parts of scripture, like Abraham and his son, or even to a degree, although there are many other factors at play in this story, Lot offering his daughters to protect the angels. We are confounded by such wisdom. We wrestle with it. But this is the wisdom of God that doesn't make sense to us in our human logic. The point is, simply trying to work out what the wisest course of action is, is not necessarily going to lead to hearing God on your specific situation. Again, this is the point of the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon is having what seems like a nervous breakdown over how wisdom isn't this foolproof system. Solomon reminds us that even though he could have been so wise, he could not change the fact that the same fate awaits the fool and the wise, which is death, right? There is no way wisdom would lead us to live in a desert, just like John the Baptist, to preach a message of renewal and the coming of the Messiah. I mean, who was in the desert with John? Who's going to hear this message that he is preaching from the desert? The direction of God sometimes makes no sense in the natural and will not be written into wisdom literature. Okay, I think I've harped on enough about that. So how much you be able to hear God then through wisdom? Well, I think the key one is seeking wise counsel. You could find a Christian mentor. You could do a cap money course, and I'm happy to add a link to this, to learn how to manage your finances. You could see a careers counsellor if you're trying to work out what to do with your life. You could go do a course. You could do some study. Go and learn and wait to hear what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you through that. Do you love what you're doing? How, how lost do you get whilst you're doing what you're doing? What is speaking to your sense of injustice that God might be wanting to draw you to? These are all questions that you would seek wise counsel for, right? My only advice amongst all of this, though, again, is to keep praying. Always pray. Pray that God would lead you to the counselor he has in mind. Pray that he would guide you to the right course or study. Pray that he would guide you to the right mentor. Because remember, the goal here is not just to gain wisdom, but to gain the kind of wisdom that he intends for you to have that opens the doors for you to hear him speak. All right. Level three. We're doing pretty well, guys. 
This is the level where the more complicated Holy Spirit stuff comes into play and where there is far more capacity for misinterpretation. And and remember, this matters, you know. Like, I love the prophetic, right, but I've met many Christians who have had a prophetic person give them a word that really hurt them or made them go off the prophetic because of something that was said. So have this at the forefront of your mind. If there is anything you are ever meant to share with someone else, make sure you remember that it is about them, not you. It's not for you to enjoy the prophetic process. That prophetic word is for them. So just because you had a vision of them doing something sinful doesn't mean that God's plan of attack is for you to confront them. And believe me, I've had my fair share of those kind of situations. And I can tell you, in most cases, God has wanted me to pray. There was a person that I kept having dreams about that, you know, was it was kind of showing in the dreams that they were doing something underhanded. And every time I prayed about it, I would not have peace that I was to do something about it. After two years of having random dreams and praying accordingly, I finally did have some confirmation that I was now to pass this information on. But then, of course, I had to pray about who I would pass the information on to. A few months went by and God showed me who. And even then, when I told a person God showed me to tell, it didn't really end the way I thought it would. Side note, don't be invested in the outcome as much as you are invested in being obedient. The outcome is always up to God, right? Okay, level three. The first one in level three is a sense or a feeling. A few years ago, I was praying for someone and as I laid my hands on their shoulder, I immediately felt tension. I said quietly to the person, are you feeling really mixed up or confused about something? Turns out they were. They had a lot on their plate and they weren't really sure how to move forward. Anyway, I was able to pray with them and yeah, it was great. This has happened to me many times, but I also tend to get a sense or a feeling when I walk into a room, you know, a meeting or a house or a building. This tends to happen for people who have a discernment gifting. They can tell someone is not doing all right or that a team or an organisation has toxic kind of relational issues going on. Parents, I just want you to know that I've known kids to have this gift too. You know those times you go visit someone and all of a sudden your kid is like unusually quiet? I've tried to stop that reflex in me that wants them to be polite and say, you know, come on, say hello to this person. But so many times my daughter will have picked up on something that I didn't. She'll be like, mommy, I didn't feel nice at that home or, you know, something along those lines. Don't ignore that, not only because they might be right, but if your kid is a discerner, the enemy will often attempt to silence them through self-doubt. And you don't want to be silencing a gift that God has given them, right? You want to encourage them to share it if that's, you know, specifically how he's gifted them. Also, people who have dreams often have a discernment gift because their sense radar is so alert to spiritual matters, right? So, yes, dreams can also be prophetic. So often people with a prophetic gift will have dreams, but discerners will often have dreams that will clarify or articulate how they are feeling about something or feeling about a situation because often they don't know what is wrong. They just know that something doesn't feel right. The downside to senses or feelings is that when you don't like someone or you are going through something yourself, your opinions can influence what you sense. 
Because I've written a book about disillusionment, I can tell you when you've had a bad church experience, you might get suspicious feelings about every pastor. Sometimes they may be warranted, but sometimes it can just be that you haven't processed your own issues towards pastors, right? It's the same with parental figures. It's so common for people to get a bad vibe about a female or male authority figure because of their own negative experiences with their mother or father. It's kind of inevitable because our emotions are so easily molded and we can believe what we want to believe if there is some kind of reward in it, even if that reward is protection. So the hard task for a discerner is trusting that the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this gifting, but also recognizing that the high sensitivity you have has the potential of being skewed. So again, pray. Make sure you have people you trust to talk to about what you've discerned. Don't tell someone who dismisses what you sense. Also, try not to make your mind up about a situation based on the first sense, especially when it comes to people. If you got a strange vibe, I mean, that's cool, but can you see any evidence of bad fruit? What, what behaviors have you seen? And don't go looking for it. If it is true discernment, like as in the kind of discernment that is born of the Holy Spirit, God will bring more observations to you. The Holy Spirit will alert you to them instead of you having to go find them. All right, number two, the voice of God. In all of my years of dreaming and visions, I've only ever heard the actual voice of God maybe three or four times. Once was in a dream and the other was a super random topic, right? Personally, I don't find hearing God's voice to be so common, but it's also not uncommon. For people in this category, it isn't exactly about whether you misinterpret what has been said. It's more whether it was genuinely the voice of God. Now, just hang on a minute. I'm not meaning to discredit if you hear God speak. It's just more that there have been many people out there that have heard the voice of God direct them to do ungodly things. Example, cult leaders or serial killers. You just want to be sure that you're actually hearing God and, you know, with all respect, not on the verge of having a nervous breakdown. So if you hear the voice of God, be sure to clarify that it is actually God, which obviously is dependent on what exactly he is telling you and what exactly he is telling you to do. Now, if you ascertain that God definitely spoke to you, it usually is fairly clear what he has said, right? It's not like when you get a vision or a dream where there is a level of deciphering required. But I would still encourage you to pray. Nothing God ever does is intended to decrease the dialogue between you and him. I'm actually going to say that one again because I think it's really good. Nothing God ever does is intended to decrease the dialogue between you and him. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I would definitely tell someone that you heard God speak as well and tell someone you trust that is not going to immediately assume that you are lying, right? Okay, number three, we're at the final one. And unfortunately, it's probably one of the biggest topics and I've left myself way too little time, but, you know, we'll just go there and and, and we'll see what happens, right? Prophecy. Okay, so prophecy is a whole other massive topic that I'm definitely not even going to be able to cover in one episode, but also I'm not an expert on this, right? Prophecy is the act of hearing God and delivering that message, right? So it's sort of, it sort of feels like all of this in some way is prophecy. Prophecy doesn't always have to be about the future. It can also be 
about now and and how something is. I remember when I was like 20-something years of age, I was at a youth camp and God gave me a word to say to another girl there. I walked up to her and said, God wants you to know that you were too hard on yourself. And she burst into tears, right? So that's not really a future statement. Now, I have been corrected by prophetic people about this in that what I've just described is considered a word of knowledge. I don't know. I don't know all the ins and outs of the terminology. I feel like I had all of this prophetic stuff happening even before I knew what any of it was. Anyway, all I know is that God can speak prophetically in several different ways. It can be through dreams, visions, words, and it can be relevant to the future or the present. So let's just talk about dreams and visions, because that's probably the one I have the most experience with. The hardest thing about dreams and visions are interpreting them. There are subjective factors at play. For starters, dreams and visions are very visceral. You feel a sense of connection to what you saw. You often felt the feeling as though you were there. I mean, as a kid, like before the Holy Spirit was in my life, I still used to have dreams. They were nightmares and they were so like visceral that it almost felt like trauma, like you could have trauma from a dream. There is an increased likelihood to want to interpret dreams and visions according to your own desires at the time. Just before our house in Brisbane went to market, I had a dream that we sold it for a very specific number. (laughs) And boy, it was a good number. So, you know, when we started getting offers for the house, I had this number, this, you know, number that I had in the dream, in the back of my head and was comparing every offer to that number, hoping that it was indeed what God wanted us to get. Turns out it was definitely not referring to the dollar value we were going to get for the house. It was indicative of something else entirely. But because I wanted it to be the figure, I was gunning for it. I almost told my husband to reject an offer we got because of it. What a mistake that would have been, right? I've had it happen so many times with dreams. Like, you know, I'll tell someone a dream I've had and they're like, oh, that dream is about me. And it's definitely not about them, but because they want it to be about them, because it's something they desire, they'll interpret their desires into the dream. So when you're interpreting dreams, having an awareness of your own desires and agendas and biases is really critical. What I find I am often doing is praying for confirmations and God is faithful, you know, often giving me several different methods through which he confirms something he's trying to say to me. I think I've mentioned it before, but when I was thinking about quitting church ministry to write, I had several things happen within a week or or two of each other. I had a moment at home where I felt the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit in my room like I had never experienced before. I had a person tell me that they had a vision of me on a book cover. I had a prophetic word sent to me about how God had this super different plan for me. And of course, I had a dream. And in the natural, everything had begun to fall into place without me prompting it or me initiating it. So this happens a lot for me. The real matter at the heart of it is whether I am willing to be patient to receive those confirmations. And I've learned over time that waiting is not meant to be a dirty word. God does his best best work during the waiting. I believe with anything prophetic that it is wise to weigh what God is saying for a time. Sometimes you can't do that, like when you get a word for someone that you know you are never going to see again. But the times where urgency is not a factor is when you take your time to pray. 
When I'm in a good routine, I will sit down and interpret one dream a day and we'll be spending plenty of time in prayer and all that kind of stuff, right? And that's when I'm being really consistent. And and often those dreams that I'm interpreting are from six months ago, not necessarily the ones that I had like a day before sometimes, but not all the time. So I've almost gotten to a point where I know that there's this natural waiting time of fruition for most of my dreams. And usually it's like minimum six months. So yeah, I know. I feel like I'm in a constant like mindset of waiting, but I'm getting used to that because waiting is good. Waiting on God is good, right? It's important to note that with all prophecy, your ability to understand and comprehend God's voice always improves with intimacy. And I'm sure that this is the case with all forms of hearing God. See, hearing someone is a product of relationship. The more you love someone, the better your relationship gets, the more weight and value you will give what they say. So with time, God will help you understand better what he's trying to say. My point being is just start the journey of trying to understand the Holy Spirit and being patient to consistently pursue what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you. And with time, it will get better and better and better and better and quicker. It's definitely for me, it's getting quicker too. Now, I think I've reached my limit on what can be fit into one podcast episode on the topic of hearing God. And, you know, just so you know, people like write massive books and literature and all this stuff, right? And I've just tried to condense it all into one 30, 45 minute. I don't actually know how long this is going to be. But anyway, that was a lot. This was very much supposed to be an introductory kind of thing, right? But if this has interested you in any way, I really want to encourage you to reach out via social media. But secondly, I'm actually in the process of developing a course. Funnily enough, something that God showed me in a dream. So if you're interested in doing the course, either text me on social media or jump onto my website and sign up to my newsletter because I will definitely keep you in the loop there. My focus for this course will be much, much, much more practical than what I have done in today's episode. And it'll definitely be geared towards helping you learn how God uniquely speaks to you and how you can continue to grow in that form too. So that's it. We're done for the episode. The next fortnight's episode is one I'm really excited about. It's all about rest. What does the Bible say about rest and what might culturally stand in the way? What are those pink elephants in terms of obtaining the real rest that God has intended for us? I look forward to sharing that topic with you in two weeks time. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pink Elephant. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my resources on my website, meljsayward.com.